Well, we are certainly glad to have you back tonight. And again, we were so thrilled with how the Lord worked out this morning and the choir did such a fabulous job and just everything went so smoothly. And we certainly thank the Lord for a great service this morning. But we're back on tonight looking forward to what the Lord has in store for us this evening. And so without further ado, let's stand. If you're able to stand, that is, we'll have a word of prayer, invite Christ in our midst, and then we'll move along here tonight. Father in heaven, we come to you thanking you for what you did do this morning, and we are grateful for how you worked and moved. But Lord, this evening's a whole other service, and Lord, we are in need of you today, tonight. We're in need of your touch, and we want you to speak to our hearts and work in our lives this evening. Oh Lord, we pray that once again you'd be with the music, that you'd be at the message. May you bless our fellowship one with another. Be glorified in this service. You're so worthy of our praise. We now commit the service into your hands, asking that you would do a mighty work, because you are indeed a mighty God. We love you in Christ's name. Amen. Please remain standing. 434 in your hymnals. 434, O little town of Bethlehem. want to throw out a couple reminders here as we head into you know this time of Christmas and uh, the New Year's that things are going to turn around really quickly as we get into the new year and so a couple things to be aware of first of all is that this week this coming week Christmas week uh, we will have our midweek service on Thursday night all right so no Wednesday night service and that kind of gives an extra day there after Christmas to recoup a little bit but we'll still be back here on Thursday night at seven o'clock for our midweek service and then also, coming up the beginning, or the, the early weeks of January, we've got our trainings uh, coming up for different ministries, ushers, uh, greeters, we've got our Sunday school bus worker training, and, uh, and so you'll see there's some sign-up sheets out there on the bulletin board, and uh, these are not only for 
those who are actively in those ministries, but if you are interested in getting involved in serving, they, they kind of act as an orientation. It's not a commitment necessarily on your behalf, but it says, I'd like to know more about this. And so you can come to any of these trainings, and uh, those will be here before you know it. I know it's uh, still the, the December here, but the weeks, the weeks will tick by quickly uh, as we have these holidays uh, right in front of us here. So make sure that you've got those things on your personal calendars, and then if you need to get signed up for something, please do so as soon as possible.
stand together, 423, a song we know so well, 423, Joy to the World. Let's sing it out together on that first verse. Let's sing that second verse together. Joy to the world, the Savior reigns. Let men their souls employ. While fields and blood, rocks, hills, and plains. Repeat the sounding joy. Repeat the sounding joy. Repeat, repeat the sounding joy. On that fourth. take up our offering tonight. Brother Joe's going to come and pray for us. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, uh, we just thank you for the opportunity we have here to come tonight. Uh, Lord, thank you for those that are gathered. Uh, we pray that you would uh, watch over them and bless them. Um, we ask that you would uh, bless the gift and the giver. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated.
Let's all stand again if you're able to stand. That is, let's do our course tonight. So tender and 
celebrate Christmas, and uh, boy, we have a good reason to celebrate Christmas. We understand what it's all about. It's about him, the Lord Jesus Christ, and boy, aren't we glad. Oh, I know, and I understand that some will tell us, well, you shouldn't be celebrating Christmas anyway. It was a pagan holiday founded in the solstice and all of that good stuff, and, but let me tell you something. The world, uh, the United States of America, people here seem to be more receptive to the gospel this time of year than any other time of the year. Boy, I'll tell you what, I say we use it to our advantage. And boy, I tell you what, it's been a wonderful morning, and we've certainly gleaned from the Lord. And boy, I tell you, the music was so fabulous, and the message was so strong in that music. And then, of course, the Lord blessed us with the Word of God, and we just thank the Lord for what He did this morning. But tonight, we're excited about what God's going to do again this evening. And I've asked uh, Brother Kavanaugh to come and share with us tonight. And uh, I'm sure that the Lord's put on His heart exactly what we need tonight. So, Brother Kavanaugh, without further ado, you come and preach for us tonight. All right. Well, I am uh, certainly honored to uh, stand before you this evening, and I thank Pastor for the opportunity. <clears throat> Usually around this time of year, uh, some of the staff get uh, the privilege of preaching, and, and I always look forward to it. And It's, it's a, an awesome time, especially when you're so focused already on the subject of the season, hopefully, Jesus. And, uh, and so then when you get into the Word of God and you start thinking about the Christmas story and, and you just spend that extra time in that, in that topic, on that area... Uh, the Lord just always seems to bring truth to light, and I'm so thankful for that. And uh, I am looking forward to what the Lord has in store for us this evening, and I want to go to the book of Luke, chapter number 2. Uh, certainly a predictable text for uh, a service at this time of the year. Um, and I want to look at, in this story, um, a little lesser-known character, or at least in my experience, a, a lesser-spoken-about character, uh, in the Christmas story. And uh, before we begin this evening, we're going to just bow our heads in a word of prayer, ask the Lord to be a part of this. Father, Lord, we do thank you uh, for this evening. Uh, Lord, not only do I want you to be a part of it, I want you to be everything. Uh, Lord, I ask that you would uh, bring clarity to my mind. Lord, I know that I've been struggling over the last couple of days with uh, clarity in my thoughts. And uh, Lord, I pray that you would allow me this evening to present your word and do honor to it. Uh, Lord, we want to elevate you this evening. And Lord, there's a, a body of believers, there's a, a group assembled this evening um, who's gathered to be uh, edified through your word, to worship you through song, but to be edified through your word. And so, Lord, I pray that we'll all leave this evening uh, rejoicing in how you met with us 
Father, I am insufficient in myself, and I need the Holy Spirit. I need your direction. And so, Lord, please fall out upon this place this evening. Uh, loose my lips, Lord, um, where I should speak boldly and help me to hold back things that I would speak in the flesh. And, Lord, I pray that you would be elevated in all that's said and done the remainder of this evening. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. In Luke chapter 2, in verse number 21, is where I want to begin. And that's skipping over, obviously, the majority of what we know is the common story of Jesus' birth. It skips over uh, the shepherds, the angels, the, the wise men, the gifts giving, the traveling to Bethlehem, the inn that was too full. It skips over all of that, and now Jesus Christ has already been born. And in Luke chapter 2, verse 21, the Bible says, "...and when eight days were accomplished for the circumcising of the child, his name was called Jesus, which was so named of the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days of her purification according to the law of Moses were accomplished, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law uh, of the Lord, every male that openeth the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to that which is uh, said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Ghost was upon him, and it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child... Uh, Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law. We're going to stop right there for now. And introduced in this passage that we've read is the character of Simeon into the Christmas story. And Simeon is an incredibly fascinating man. And uh, Simeon, there's not a lot known about him. And honestly, I I tried to do as much digging as I could and really just found a lot of uh, subjective information about him. Um, Some say that his father was Halil. And uh, that's a pretty, actually, solid fact that his father was Halil. And Halil was actually the head of the Sanhedrin. And so it was a very religious family, Halil. And, uh, and so here is, uh, here is Simeon, the son of Halil. And uh, some other digging that I found uh, says that, uh, that Simeon at one point, maybe not here, but at one point took over his father's position as the head of the Sanhedrin. And so he was very religious uh, in uh, that time, in the law. He was a very devout, as the, the word of God said, that he was just and that he was devout. Now just speaks to how he treated his fellow man, were to do justly one to another, to treat each other fairly and appropriately and kindly. That speaks to his character towards other men, but it also speaks in devout, Towards his, about his relationship towards God. He honored God above all else. And so the Bible does give us a little bit of information about his character and his history and, and who he was. He certainly was a man who had a desire to please the Lord. Uh, some other things I found about Simeon were that possibly his son was Gamaliel. And uh, Gamaliel, as you know, was the lawyer, uh, one of the lawyers, the men uh, there, that uh, said, hey, if, if these disciples are really of God, there's nothing we can do um, against them, so let's just keep our hands off. And if in fact that's true, and he he uh, he is the son of of Simeon, we can see where he was influenced by his father. Now I don't know why he didn't take for sure that Jesus was the son of God. I don't know those things, uh, but interesting uh, information nonetheless. We see here in the story uh, that although there's not a lot about Simeon, we learn about his character, and uh, we're going to read over these next few verses here and. And really this evening, I I had a goal going into this to be short. 
And uh, so I'm only going to preach for 20 minutes, and we'll be out of here, and it'll be good, all right? Um, but, no, I, I do. I, and I figured today would be a long day. We'll see. Who's, who's making comments, all right? I'm not promising anything, all right? But it was a goal coming into this. Um, no, but also, uh, I, I knew today would be a busy day, a lot going on, and uh, with the cantata and everything. And so I, I'm going to, we're going to move through this quickly. And really, I'm going to make four statements. They're not necessarily points per se, but they are statements about our passage. And, uh, and then we'll bring it to a conclusion in the end. And the first statement that I, I want to draw um, from our passage this evening, we look um, here and we see the character of, of Simeon, and we see that he was just and devout. He treated his, his, his fellow man kindly. He did right by them. He, he treated them justly. And as we mentioned, uh, there's that character of being just and the, the character trait of being devout. He honored God. But the first statement that I want us to notice this evening, we'll expound upon it, is it doesn't matter if you are just and devout, your life never truly changes until you have personally met Jesus. It doesn't matter if you are just and devout, your life truly never changes until you have met Jesus. And we see Simeon for quite some time, we don't know how long, but for quite some time, he knew that he would not see death until he had seen Jesus, until he had seen the salvation of Israel. And he didn't know how long it would be. After all, think about Simeon and the point in time in his life. There's been hundreds of years of prophetical silence. They, they don't know what's been going on. But obviously this man who was under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, now that, that, as far as we can tell, he is, he is about to prophesy because he's going to say some things here that speak to the future. And so as far as we may know, this is the first prophecy spoken since the book of Malachi. And, uh, 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 yeah, since the end of the Old Testament there as we know it, all right? And, uh, and so here we see this man, certainly just, certainly devout. But look at what it says in verse number 28. Then took he him up in his arms, speaking of Jesus, and blessed God and said, Lord, now lettest thy servant depart in peace. I mean, there certainly had to be a, an element of, of joy and of, of confidence in God being an Old Testament saint, knowing that he would not die until he saw the salvation of Israel. That is an amazing promise for an Old Testament saint to have. That's, a, that's an awesome thing. But you think about that uh, his life was not changed merely by that information. Near, just merely knowing that he was going to have the opportunity to see the salvation of Israel, that didn't matter for really anything in the long run. What really happened in, in Simeon's life, uh, what, when the change really took place, was when he held Jesus in his arms. Now I understand that that is, that is not equate to salvation. When Simeon held Jesus in his arms, it, it didn't equal salvation for him. But... There's certainly some inspirational truth to be gleaned here. That when he held Jesus close for the very first time, understanding that this, in fact, was the promise fulfilled. This, in fact, was the salvation for all of Israel. There was a joy that came across him that he never would have known otherwise. His life from that very moment was changed, unlike it had ever been before, simply through knowledge. Oh, this is an amazing thing when you look at what transpired in, in, in his life. And, and I can tell you right now, it doesn't matter if you are just 
or you are devout, your life has never and never will be changed until you personally meet with Jesus. It doesn't matter how good you are. It doesn't matter how hard you try. Your life will never truly be changed until you have met the salvation of the world. A personal contact. An intimate contact with Jesus Christ. Oh, what an amazing thing. And you can hear and see as you look at the words on this page, the joy that is exploding out of his life. And we'll talk about that here in a minute. But friend, don't trust in how good of a person you are. Don't trust in what you do and that you treat your fellow man kindly. Being a good person, as clearly as we heard this morning, just to reemphasize, does not, does not punch the ticket. You have to have met the Master. You have to have that personal contact with Jesus. Have you had personal contact with Jesus? And not only for the just and devout, the sinner, no matter how hard they try, no matter how hard the alcoholic tries to get off of the, the booze, no matter how hard the drug addict uh, tries to change his life by getting off of drugs, no matter how hard uh, the sinner, the, the desperate in need sinner, tries to change his life for the good, your life will truly never be changed. No matter what you accomplish, no matter how many steps in a program you accomplish, your life will never truly be changed until you have met Jesus. When you think about Mary Magdalene, Mary Magdalene Possessed with seven devils. She knew about Jesus. She knew what he could do. But it wasn't until she had an intimate contact, an intimate interaction with Jesus, that her life was changed. Think about Nicodemus, who came in the, the midnight meeting. Not until he met with Jesus. Cer certainly he knew, of all people, a Pharisee of Pharisees. That guy knew the law. He knew what it meant to please God. He knew what he had to do but not until he had intimate contact with Jesus did his life change. Think about Zacchaeus, a thief. He was really honestly disappointed with himself. He wanted change, but his life didn't change until he personally met with Jesus, until he got close to Jesus by climbing into that tree so he could see, so he could get a personal contact with Jesus. Think about that thief dying on the cross. Certainly he had heard who this man was, we know that he did because he mocked him as he hung there beside him. He knew who Jesus was. But his life was not changed until he had that intimate contact with Jesus. Certainly of all the people in scripture that we look at whose lives were changed by intimate contact with Jesus Christ, we look at the woman at the well who was going about her life certainly, certainly depressed at how things were going. The myriad of relationships of, in her life purely point to the fact that she was looking for something that she had not yet found. She was trying to change things. She was trying to find joy and happiness. But it wasn't until she met a man at a well who told her she could drink of a water that would cause her to never thirst again that her life was changed. Come and see a man who told me all the things I ever did is not this Christ? Is not this Christ? Have you had that connection, that time and point in your life where you had that personal, intimate interaction with Jesus Christ? Because I don't, 
It doesn't really matter how hard you've tried. It doesn't matter what has changed because you can do a lot of things to improve your life purely out of character, but your life will truly never be changed until you have met with Jesus. Our first statement that we observe in our text this evening is it doesn't matter if you are just and devout, your life never truly changes until you have personally met with Jesus. Secondly, this evening, the second statement I would like to make is true, and listen carefully, true peace and joy is not found in faithfulness alone, but rather in close proximity to Jesus. True joy and, and, uh, true joy and peace are not found in faithfulness alone, but rather in close proximity to Jesus. Look again to our text, if you would, in verse number 28. Luke chapter 2, verse number 28. It says, Then he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now let us thy servant depart in peace according to thy word, for mine eyes have seen thy salvation. This is the one verse out of this text, if none other, that just uh, alludes and, not, not alludes, it oozes with the joy that Simeon is experiencing at this very moment. You can see him date that little baby in his arms, and maybe a toddler, I don't know how old he was at this point, but he was, he was still a child. You can see him take him in his arms and hold him close to his chest. Lord, now you can let me go. You can let me die. I don't care what else happens from this point forward. I'm ready to kick the bucket. I'm ready. My life is fulfilled. Now, we don't know. Simeon could be an old man in this passage. He, the Bible doesn't really give an indication. He could be an old man that God has been miraculously preserving. He could have been 200 years old for all we know. I, don't, I mean, we don't know. But at this point in his life, there was that fulfillment of joy. Where he said, I am ready, I am ready to go. And it happened when he got close to Jesus. See, the joy in Simeon's life wasn't all the years that he held to the promise that he would not die until he saw salvation. The joy in Simeon's life was not held or not, not fulfilled in, in all of his years of faithfulness, no doubt, following the law and, and being submitted to the Holy Ghost, as we see here even in the passage, where he was led by the Holy Ghost to the temple. It wasn't in his faithful service that he gave over and over and over again, no doubt throughout his life. That's not where his joy came from. Not in his faithful service. But when he got close to Jesus, when he got close to the Savior, faithfulness defined, and listen here, because you might be confused and say, wait, faithfulness doesn't equate to joy in my life? Let's, let's clarify this a little. Faithfulness defined. It's a strict adherence to injunctions, to the duties of a station, as in the faithfulness of a servant. And what this indicates to us is that doing the work of being faithful to God doesn't in itself produce joy. In and of itself does not produce joy. And I think we're many people in today's church, not world, in today's church are confused on this topic. We often feel as though our faithfulness should produce joy in our lives. But that is not, in fact, yes, faith pleases God. It certainly does. It brings joy to God. But faithfulness doesn't always bring joy to me. 
But when I get into the presence of Jesus, that brings joy. Every single time. The presence of Jesus in my life brings the joy of the Lord that I cannot experience any other way. If we're not careful, we can very easily get caught in the trap of service to God to produce joy in our lives. Because we feel as though serving produces joy, and that's what we do. And, and certainly, there are people, you know, there's certainly commands that we hear. For example, just listen if you would. John chapter 15, verse number 9. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. And so someone may look at that and say simply, well, if, if, uh, if I keep the commandments of the Father, that's going to produce joy, and my joy will be full. But you're leaving out a whole bunch of stuff in between there. Simply serving and keeping commandments in the service aspect of things doesn't produce joy. But when you learn that his commands are that I am to learn of him, for he is meek and lowly, and, he'll, and in him I'll find rest for my soul. When I learn that really what God wants above all else after my salvation is for me to have a personal relationship with him, that's where joy comes from. Not in the doing, but in the stillness. And certainly, there is joy from seeing a soul saved. And that's certainly service in our lives. That's being faithful. And we go out and we witness and we lead somebody to Christ. There's certainly joy there. Um, <clears throat> there's isolated ways that we find joy. But as, as in a whole, we do not experience true joy in our lives simply by being faithful. This is be a practical way for you to learn this lesson. And I don't recommend doing this. But if you want to learn that this is actually truth here in your own life, instead of learning from Scripture, you can follow this recipe. Go ahead and spend no personal time with Jesus and go through your life serving Him in action. Come out every Saturday soul winning. Get involved in a bus ministry. Sing in the choir. Serve uh, in teaching, nurseries, any other ministry here at the church. Come to every service faithfully, Sunday morning, Sunday evening, Wednesday night. You just plug yourself into every aspect you can, but spend zero time with Jesus. Some of the most miserable people in church are those people. Some of the most miserable people in the world are Christians who live that way. There's unsaved people who aren't as unhappy as Christians who live that way. You know why? Because that's what happens when you try to find the joy in this life simply by serving faithfully. And avoid the personal, intimate contact with Jesus. We have got to have intimate contact with Jesus. You know what happens in a believer's life who follows that recipe? It's what we call burnout. Burnout. It ultimately is someone who is serving faithfully, but never takes personal time with him. Burnout doesn't have to happen in a Christian's life. You can serve faithfully in every single one of those areas and more, 
and never once experience burnout if you're, in, it, you're being funded by the right source. And that's Jesus. Spending intimate time with Jesus. I'm reminded of a song. Um, we used to sing this song uh, as a family at nursing homes. Every, almost every single week, if you ever ask somebody for their favorite at a nursing home, in the garden. It was always in the garden. Every, almost every single time. And you think about the words to that song. I come to the garden alone while the dew is still on the roses. And the voice I hear falling on my ear, the Son of God discloses. And he walks with me, and he talks with me. And he tells me I am his own. And the joy we share as we tarry there, none other has ever known. Where is that at? It's in the presence of Jesus. And Simeon, as he stood there for the first time, although he knew a whole bunch of things and certainly had been faithful for years and years and years, he knew a joy that he had never known before when he personally made contact with Jesus. I wonder today, do you know what that joy is like? Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. I mean, has it become humdrum? Misery? It might just be that you're going through a bunch of service, faithfully serving, but not spending time in the presence of the real joy giver. Thirdly, statement I would like to make is the presence of Jesus for the religious person brings frustration. But the presence of Jesus for the submitted believer lifts our spirits. The presence of Jesus for the religious bring, brings frustration. The presence of Jesus for the submitted believer lifts your spirit. Look, if you would, in, in Luke chapter 2 and verse number 34. Luke chapter 2 and verse number 34. It says, And Simeon blessed them, and said unto Mary his mother, Behold, this child, listen, is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel, and for a sign which shall be spoken against. Is set, this child is set for the fall and rising again. This phrase, it really confused me at first. As I was studying through this passage, what is the fall? How can Jesus cause people to fall? We certainly know how he can cause them to rise again, how he can lift them up, but what call, how can Jesus cause people to fall. Well, after some study and looking around, it doesn't take long to read through the, any one of the Gospels before you see people stumbling all over Jesus. Don't you? You see Pharisees frustrated and angry and Sadducees and religious people of the day looking at Jesus and whenever he was around, it just seemed as though they hated him. And honestly, as I dug in a little bit further, it was prophesied that this would be the case. In Isaiah chapter 8, verse 14, it says, And he shall be for a sanctuary, but for a stone of stumbling, and for a rock of offense to both the house of Israel, for a gin and for a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. When Jesus came, it had already been prophesied that he was going to cause people, he was going to become a stumbling block for some people. He was going to, when his presence was made known in this earth, 
especially for the house of Jerusalem, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, he was going to cause them to stumble all over themselves, not know what's going on. And they were going to redirect that frustration and anger at him, ultimately crucifying him on the cross. You see, the presence of Jesus for the religious person brings frustration. It brings frustration in our lives. And this very closely ties into the point before in our faithful service. But I'd like to just, I'd like to clarify a little bit here. You see, when you get to that point where you've faithfully been serving but not spending any time in the presence of Jesus and that burnout experience happens in your life, in between there, from where you stop walking with God and the burnout happening, this takes place. Frustration in the presence of Jesus. See, you can be happy as a lark out in the world. When you're at this point in your life and you've been serving and you're faithful to the house of God, but you have no relationship with God and you're not going to the source of true joy, you can be happy as a lark with your unsaved friends. Your co-workers. The very people who you really have nothing at core in common with. But when you get in the church house, when you get around other Christians and you see you don't understand it as being the Holy Spirit at work or God, Jesus Christ at work in people's lives. But when you see it around you, what happens is you get frustrated at the presence of Jesus. You've been faithfully serving and you're coming to church, but all of a sudden, uh, you know, you see around you souls are being saved. People, ex- actually, people excited about being involved in things. People volunteering, people helping out. And you look around you, You know what happens? You start to develop an attitude inside. I've never heard anyone say any of these things necessarily, but these are things that you might start to feel in your heart. Why didn't I get asked to do the solo in the Christmas cantata? Why did Pastor Pastor ask Joe to come up and pray for the offering? Everyone knows Joe's a heathen. No, you, look, you start to look around you and you say, oh, those idiots over there, they just want attention. That's why they're always volunteering for things. Yeah, we start to look at people around us. And we, we look at what's going on and how God's working in their lives. And we look around the church house and we see how God is blessing in so many areas. But to us, that just, that just garners frustration. We've not been walking with God and we have no joy in our lives. And we're faithful and... It just seems like we're empty and hollow and there's nothing going on inside of our lives. But around us, all kinds of things are happening. And we look at them and we say, but them, oh, they're just, they're, they're such, they're so fake. How can somebody be so nice? They're so fake. How is that even possible? You know what that is? You have no joy. You've lost the joy of your salvation. And you can have all the joy in the world temporarily while you go out in the world and you cohort with your friends and you mess around with them. But when you get in the house of God and the presence of Jesus forced in your face brings frustration in your life. We have got to be careful when we get to this point in our life. And while this is certainly bad news that it's possible for Jesus, the presence of Jesus to cause us to stumble... There's a lot of good news in this passage because he would become the stumbling, the falling for many, but also the rising again. <laughs> so when I, when I have gotten to that point in my life where, where I've stumbled, you know where I'm at? I'm in a perfect place to be humble before God and say, God, 
I'm serving for myself. I'm faithful for myself. This has all become about me. And Holy Spirit, I need your joy in my life again. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. I don't want to serve in this hollow sense. I don't want to just go through the motion. I look around me and I see you at work. And I want to be a part of it. I don't want to be angry at it. But if we're not careful, that's what we become. We become angry at the working of God. Frustrated at what He is doing in our presence. What a sad state of affairs. But I know that I have been there before. But it can be turned around. It can be turned around. Don't don't just faithfully do and expect the joy to be there. If you notice yourself in a point of frustration to the things that are happening around you, and it, it becomes most obvious when you're in church. It really does. When you're in a church where God's hand is upon it and, and blessing, and you look around you and you see God's hand at work in people's lives, it becomes frustrating to you if you're not in the right position with him. And so get it corrected. Think about that thief on the cross again, if you would, with me. Jesus Christ was certainly a stumbling block for him. He's hanging there next to Jesus. If you were really God, you could take us and you down from here. That's the first hours of the day. But as the day progresses and he sees and he spends more time in the presence of God, what does he wind up saying in the end? It certainly is a picture of the fall and rising again. Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. You think about Peter. As he stepped out into the water. And then became so consumed with the affairs around him. And he began to fall. But the very source of his rising again was right in front of him. And you may be at a point in your life where you are experiencing this. But the rising again is already there. If you're in his presence and it's frustrating to you, it's that same presence that will lift you back up. If you'll just turn your heart around. And turn to him. And fourthly this evening, you can give your all to sacrifice for Jesus and still miss out on what he truly had for you. You can give your all to sacrifice for Jesus and still miss out on what he had for you. In verse number 34 of our text, Luke chapter 2, verse number 34, it says, And Simeon blessed them. He's speaking to Mary and Joseph at this time. And he blesses them. And then he turns specifically to Mary and said unto Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel, and for a sign which shall be spoken against. Yea, a sword shall pierce through thine own soul also, and the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. What? That, that little phrase right there was once again something that threw me for a curve. Because here he's talking about the promised hope of what Jesus Christ is. That he, he's, a, he's a light to lighten the Gentiles. 
and that he's finally here. And he's talking about how many shall fall in the presence of Jesus, but many shall rise again. But right in the middle of all that, he turns to Mary and kind of out of the side of his mouth, or not out of the side of his mouth, but kind of as a side point, he says, Yea, a sword shall pierce through thine own soul. What, what is this great pain that Mary is going to experience? And why did he throw that into the middle of all of this? Take it for what it is. I believe that this was a, an encouragement to Mary. To Mary, well, let's stop and take a look at Mary's life. Look at all that Mary would be asked to sacrifice for Jesus. From the very beginning of her youth in this story, as a possible young teenage girl being told that she was about to be with child, there goes her reputation. Not only that, the reputation of her fiancé. Now she's got to travel to Bethlehem and have a child in the, in the, in the manger, in the, in the cattle shed. Then she's got to run from Pharaoh as all the children are being killed around her. She's got to watch her son grow old and eventually stand at the foot of the cross and watch him as he was disfigured beyond human recognition. What a great dagger through the soul of a mother. What a great request for sacrifice, really. A lot was asked of Mary. We can certainly attest to that. And I think Simeon threw in this little truth right here. Mary, don't, don't, be, don't be discouraged and don't focus on what you may be asked to sacrifice along the way. Because remember what, what comes with this. Remember at the beginning of our story, at the beginning of what we read here, the Bible says that Simeon was waiting for the consolation of Israel. What is that? Well, the consolation is to console. A people who were depressed, afflicted, abused, had gone through hundreds of years of silence from the Heavenly Father, they needed some comfort. They needed some help. And here, as was being promised, and well, not being promised, as was being delivered in the hands of Simeon, that consolation, that comforter, he was saying, hey, Mary, we've got the comforter. This is an awesome thing. Don't, hey, don't be discouraged along the way because there's going to be some heartache. You're going to feel as though a dagger's been put through your soul. But don't be discouraged by what you might be asked to sacrifice. Remember what you have Remember what I'm holding here, what this truly is. And God has a blessing. He has blessing for us far beyond whatever he may ask us to sacrifice. Certainly our sacrifice pales in comparison to his. But that doesn't mean that you won't go through things where you might be asked of God to give something up. And you may feel as though it's such a big request. Well, as Mary was encouraged here by Simeon, it's really not that big. Remember what you've gotten. Yeah, you may have experienced this, this, the, the great sacrifice here. But remember what Jesus represents. As Simeon has already said, For mine eyes have seen thy salvation. And if we're not careful, we can begrudgingly sacrifice for the Lord. As we go throughout our Christian life, we can sacrifice in, in so many different areas. We feel as though we're being asked by God to give up so much. As Mary could have very well felt. Now, there's no indication that she did. 
Because she was the kind of woman who took everything she heard and pondered it. She meditated on what God had to say and what he had. And and so I certainly believe that she marveled at the sayings as it was said here, because it's exactly what it says. When Simeon blessed them, they marveled. And so she wasn't one that just flippantly dismissed this encouraging remark. But if we're not careful in our lives, sometimes we might be asked to sacrifice things and do it begrudgingly all the while missing out on the blessing that God had for us during that time of sacrifice, or in that sacrifice, or maybe on the other side of that sacrifice. We don't know what or why he's asking these things of us, but just give it. If he's asking something from you, I can guarantee you he's got something better to give in return. He's got something better to give in return. And I'm not preaching some kind of prosperity. You, you know, you give all this and the Lord will give it back to you. You know, all that. That's not what I'm saying. But I guarantee you, anytime the Lord comes to you and says, hey, I want you to cut this out. I want you to not do that. He'll honor that. He will honor that. People live this way all the time. Begrudgingly sacrificing. It's most prevalent in our finances, and I think that's why Jesus, or the Word of God, directly addresses that, that we're to give cheerfully. Because it's the one area that it really can, are you kidding me? I worked for that. That's my livelihood. And that's tied to a whole lot of other problems there, where we're really finding joy again. But, don't, don't feel... As though your sacrifice is some great thing. Remember that if he's asked you to sacrifice, there's a bigger picture at play. And he's got something great that he's trying to do in your life. Four simple statements tonight. They're not complicated. It doesn't matter if you are just and devout. Your life never truly changes until you have personally met with Jesus. You see, these statements are not simply statements because it's not just good to point out the problem in our lives. We have to have the solution. And the solution to every single one of these things is get close to Jesus. It's in the statement. It doesn't matter if you're just and devout, your life never truly changes until you have personally met with Jesus. Have you personally met with Jesus? You're good, you're faithful, you're devout, you're just. That's great. But that's not life-changing. Jesus is. True peace and joy is not found in faithfulness alone, but rather in close proximity to Jesus. Are you so busy serving, so busy being faithful, that you've lost the joy of your salvation? Get close to Jesus. The presence of Jesus for the religious brings frustration. And the presence of Jesus for the submitted believer just lifts our spirit. When you, hey, when you look around you and you see God at work, if, if you are submitted to his hand and what he's doing, you can do nothing but rejoice. Sit up there in that soul winning meeting every Saturday, man, my heart just rejoices as those testimonies are shared about what the Lord is doing. Oh, that stinking soul winner. I know how they lead people to Christ. One, two, three, repeat after me. That's all they're doing. Yeah, yeah. That's true. We laugh because if we didn't laugh, we'd cry, right? 
The presence of Jesus for the religious brings frustration. The presence of Jesus for the submitted believer lifts your, lifts your spirit. And fourthly, you can give your all to sacrifice for Jesus and still miss out, what he truly, and still miss out on what he truly has for you. So get close to him. Get close to him. Every single one of these things, if you're going through any of this stuff in your life, get close to Jesus. You know, I've been guilty of this before. Somebody coming to me and say, oh, man, I'm really struggling. Well, just stay faithful. That's what I say. So just stay faithful. Just stay faithful. And really what a more specific and better piece of advice would be, get closer to Jesus. Get closer to Jesus. Oh man, I'm really struggling right now. I don't feel like I can, I can pick, carry on with everything that I'm doing in the church. I need to take a step back. Not just be faithful. Get closer to Jesus. That'll fix the faithfulness issue. It'll fix all of our problems. When we get close to Jesus, the cares of this world are problems so, so abundant, aren't they? But when we get close to Jesus, they melt away. If you really allow yourself to be ushered into his presence, it's an amazing place to live the Christian life. And it's a horrible Christian life without it. It truly is. Get in the presence of Jesus. It's the challenge for this evening. Let's bow our heads, close our eyes if you would. Go ahead and stand this evening. Father, Lord, we do thank you for your word and thank you for how you speak to our hearts and our lives. Lord, how you know exactly what we need when we need it. And Lord, I know that you spoke to me first in this and I'm so thankful for your mercy and your grace. Lord, how I need to be closer to you. Lord, we ask that you would continue to do a work in our hearts and lives. Lord, if anyone was in this room tonight and convicted about their need for salvation, they've never had that personal encounter with you, may tonight be the night of their salvation. Before the instruments begin to play and before anything really takes place, with every, how, uh, every head bowed and every eye closed, no one looking around, if you're in this room this evening, you can say without a shadow of a doubt that I have had that personal, intimate meeting with Jesus. And I know for sure that I'm on my way to heaven. If that's you, would you raise your hand this evening just as a testimony to the Lord? Amen. You may put those down. If you're in this room tonight and you say, you know what, I've never had that time. I'm just and I'm devout. Maybe you're not either one of those things. Maybe you're a sinner. But you could say, you know what, my life has not truly yet been changed. If that's you and you've never accepted Jesus Christ, you know that already in your heart right now. The Holy Spirit of God does that work. He does the drawing and he will work in your heart. And if you hear the Holy Spirit of God speaking to you now, even this evening and saying, you must be born again, then I encourage you in just a moment to come on down here and somebody will show you from the word of God how you can trust Jesus Christ as your savior, how you can settle that. Maybe there's things in your life where you've lost the joy of your salvation. Maybe you're faithfully serving, but no joy there. Maybe you're frustrated with the presence of God. Maybe you're sacrificing all kinds of things for Him, but really missing out. I don't know where the Lord may have spoken to you this evening, but if He has, the piano's going to play, and you can make your way forward here this evening and speak to the Lord. The front's an altar. You can just kneel and pray. Maybe address an area that the Lord has spoken to you about. If you're not born again, if you've never accepted Jesus Christ your Savior, would you come now? 
Say, well, I'm worried about the folks around me. Hey, it's going to pale. Everything around you will pale aside when you meet with Jesus tonight if you've never met with him before. If you don't have it settled, you're not 100% sure you're on your way to heaven. Settle it this evening. You can come tonight. Somebody will show you from the word of God. But church, I want to encourage you. Get and stay in the presence of Jesus. There's no better place to live the Christian life. There's no better thing you can do in the Christian life than to get and stay in the presence of Jesus.
it's not our cell phones, it's our televisions, it's not our televisions, it's our computers, it's not our computers, it's our tablets. It just seems that there's never a moment where we truly separate ourselves from the busyness of life and take the time to enter into the very presence of God. Even our devotion often, those times that we spend with Christ, so-called, are riddled with interruptions, beeps, sounds of all kinds. We wonder why our struggle, we struggle so much to find joy and peace in our life. As David says, and it's been mentioned already, restore to me the joy of thy salvation. Boy, the salvation that he gives us is a pure salvation, a wonderful salvation, and it provides us with everything we we need in life, everything. Well, tonight, we're certainly glad that you could be a part of the service, and tonight we have coming to join us in membership is Laura Spencer, and we're excited to have her with us, and she's been around a while. Many of you know her, and if, well, everybody knows her, I'm sure, at least, pretty much. I, at least, we know her pretty well, and uh, she's been so faithful, and now she comes to join, and we're excited about that. We're so pleased, and that's great news, but then also we have some other great news as well, Shalisa. She trusted Christ as a Savior, settled her salvation tonight, and boy, that's exciting. Give her a hand. That's a wonderful decision. Amen. 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 Well, there's nothing like settling that and making it right. Boy, when the Holy Spirit of God speaks to your heart and draws you, you know it was Him. You know, you know He was the one uh, involved in that process, and that's an awesome thing. Regeneration, it's all the Holy Ghost. He does the work in our life. We simply just yield our soul and spirit to him. He does all the work, and boy, what a blessing that is. All right, well, anyway, that's good news, and you make sure you let her know, Shalisa, that is, that you certainly are glad that she made that decision, and then also, uh, following the service, we'll be out out here. Check with Laura and let her know how much you appreciate her uh, making the decision to join and be a part of uh, our uh, family here at Community Baptist Temple. Well, Brother Robert, why don't you come on up? We're going to have Robert Becker. You know the Beckers. Uh, I'd say they run the store in the back. 
Right, Brother Mark? <laughs> He's bringing bread in and all kind of stuff. At one point, we thought we were going to have a thrift store back there. But uh, anyway, I know so many of you are blessed by that, and it's been an encouragement to you. We do ask that you don't store bread under the chairs for more than just an hour or two. <laughs> that you take it home with you. Every once in a while, we find it under the chairs. Please don't forget it if you grab it. Uh, we'd prefer you to grab it and take it to your car or something and bring it in the auditorium. I'm just throwing that in. But anyway, uh, if you'd help us with that, that'd be great. But uh, boy, I tell you what, the Beckers were proud of their boy. And Robert, um, uh, he wasn't with us very long. Uh, he came and uh, showed up in class for a while in the singles class. And we started to get to know him. And then he decided he didn't like us and he left. And he went off to Bible college, and he spent the last three years going to school and traveling and going uh, overseas and getting an opportunity to get a taste of the mission field. And now he's been called to the, 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 the country Brazil. And so he and his wife are going to be heading over there. Of course, they're beginning their deputation now, and they're starting to make their way across the country. And so you be praying for them. But uh, maybe you want to share just a real quick, uh, just something quick about what you're doing. And uh, we certainly, uh, I know mom and dad have got to be extremely proud. And uh, boy, I tell you what, when you watch your children take steps and follow the Lord, whether it's in full-time Christian service, as we would call it full-time, we know we're all full-time, but in, in, I guess you'd call it um, full-time service where you're getting extra livelihood, or whether it's uh, working out in the world and just living for Jesus, boy, that makes a parent proud. Man, just to know their kids following in their footsteps, isn't that a blessing? And boy, if you got children that are struggling with that, don't give up on them, just keep loving them, keep praying for them. Boy, there's nothing wrong with being proud of your kids. And Mr. and Mrs. Becker, praise the Lord, you got a young man here to be proud of. Um, but yeah, uh, just a quick correction. It's uh, we're actually going to Argentina as missionaries. Um, <laughs> there you go. T blame the assistant pastor. That's the way to do it. <laughs> but uh, the Lord really blessed us, and we were able to spend six months there the first part of this year, and. We got back in September, and now we've been on deputation for the last three months, and we're just so grateful to all that the Lord is doing for us and the way that he provides for us. And We're just so excited to be able to get back to Argentina, see churches planted, and see souls saved for Jesus. Amen. <laughs> you want me to pray for us? Let's pray. All right. Let's go ahead and pray. Dear Lord, we just thank you for this day that we could spend in your house, Lord. Lord, I just thank you for the messages from your word today, Lord, that spoke to my heart. And Lord, I just uh, pray that uh, during this Christmas season, we would all draw closer to you, Lord. That we wouldn't just draw closer to you, Lord, but that we would point others to get closer to you, Lord. I pray that uh, you would be with everyone today, Lord, as they go home. Keep them safe over the holiday and bring us back at the next appointed time, Lord. We thank you for all that you're doing. Lord, I pray your mighty blessing on this church, Lord. I pray that you continue to grow it, continue to use it for your honor and your glory here in Akron, Ohio, Lord. I just thank you so much for this church and the influence that they had on you. In your name. 